today we have Marcia Geldert Murphy with us. She is a regional director, director um, for Missouri and Illinois for Lockmuller Group. Um, she is also an entrepreneur. She started uh, a couple of different uh, structural and geotechnical firms and sold them off kind of, um, you know, moved on to Lockmuller. Um, she is also very involved with American Society of Civil Engineers. She has served as the Region 7 Director. Um, she's also on the advisory board for the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at South Dakota State. So, um, disclaimer, we are both South Dakota State alumni. <laughs> Um, yes, and she also has won the Ed Edmund Freeman Award for, with the American Society of Civil Engineers. She's actually only the second female to ever receive this award. Uh, the previous one was in 1979, so there was a long stretch there. Um, she also is on the Civil Engineering Ed Academy for ROLA, which is where she received her master's degree or earned her master's degree. Uh, she has won a lot of awards within the St. Louis section with American Society of Civil Engineers, and she has also won the most influential award uh, for the City of St. Louis, the most influential woman award, I believe is what it was. Uh, she's very into her dogs, walks a lot with her dogs, into podcasts and into um, reading books and listening to books. So with that, thank you, Marcia, for joining today. Thank you, Carrie, for having me on the show. I appreciate it very much. Yes, thank you. Um, maybe if we could just get started with uh, kind of how you grew up or where you grew up, uh, what, you wanted, what you wanted to be when you were younger, kind of what led you to where you're at today? Okay, wow. Um, you know, I, I am very fortunate in that I've had, um, I've had an interesting childhood. So I was born in Eaglewood, California, which is a, a very tough neighborhood outside of, in, in the LA area. And um, then my, that's where my dad was from. And then my mom moved us uh, when I was eight to Rapid City, South Dakota. So I went from complete inner city to out in South Dakota Prairie. <laughs> and so I always tell people, you could drop me in the middle of Manhattan or you could drop me in the middle of Kansas in a field and I'm totally comfortable either way because I've lived <laughs> in both experiences. Um, but growing up, I really was fascinated by um, people and how people get around and how people interact and how people move. And, and I love to talk, um, which is probably a good thing for this. Um, so I didn't, I didn't sit there and go, gee, I think I want to be an engineer. I never did that. As a matter of fact, how I got started in engineering, I was, I always have cared about the environment and uh, growing up in South Dakota, there is, uh, it's a, it's no longer a, a gold mine anymore, but Homestate Gold Mine used to leach their tailings with a combination that had um, some chemicals in it to get some of the gold out. And back then, uh, they weren't as careful with, you know, putting chemicals on the ground and it got into Whitewood Creek. And so the creek was totally dead. No plants or animals could grow in it. And so there was, when I was young, there was a 
a public information meeting and I asked if my uh, parents could take me to that. And the gentleman who gave the presentation was talking about how they were going to recover Whitewood Creek. And I, that was when the, oh, the bell went off. I was like, I, I love what he's talking about. I want to know what he does. And so he told me that he was an environmental engineer and he explained that that was a civil engineering degree. And so um, I was, I was on board from that moment on. I originally went into chemistry and then decided, no, I really want to, I really want to do the engineering side. And so I switched and went to South Dakota State University and um, studied civil engineering and, and focused on environmental. And um, that's how, that's what led me to where I am today. And it was interesting too, because I think because I've been in so many different environments, it doesn't, it wasn't startling to me when I got to SDSU and there were so few women because I was used to sort of not blending in with everyone wherever I had been before. So it didn't, it, it didn't bother me as much. And I'm, I'm grateful for that because there were only, I think three women in my class at the time. In civil. And we were all friends. We knew each other very well. Um, but, and we were rarely in class together, which was always troublesome, but, um, but it, it was fine. And, and I was, I, I'm grateful that I just trudged ahead. You know, I always kind of got my eye on, that's where I, I, I always tell people, find your North Star and then just keep your trajectory. This is the engineer in me. Keep your trajectory. You're gonna, it's going to be a zigzag. Sometimes you're going to do a little bit of this. It's not going to be a straight shot. But as long as you're always getting closer to that North Star. And my North Star was I wanted to be a civil engineer and I really wanted to focus on environmental engineering. Now, the funny part of that story is I got out and I ended up on a bridge over the Mississippi <laughs> River and realized, oh, I like, I like working with the soil and uh, geotechnical, which is, you know, the dirt, which people, sure. geotechs don't like you to call it dirt. But um, I was fascinated by the foundation design and the, and the driving the pile for the bridge. And so then I went back to Rolla I, was, I moved to this area, to the St. Louis area, went back to Rolla and got my master's in geotech. And so um, focused on that for many, many years after that. Well, and I think that's, so you were mentioning bridges and geotechnical stuff. So, um, you know, earlier when we were talking, we said, you know, your, your expertise is geotechnical and structural. And um, I guess that kind of brings up a point that it ties both of them together. So the geotech is kind of the lower level and the soils and then uh, structurals have to work very uh, close in um, tandem with geotechnical engineers because um, the foundations, sometimes that's the geotechnical side of things, sometimes it's the structural side of things. So it makes perfect sense that you are uh, kind of in both areas there because they kind of meld together right at the surface. So. Right. I, I definitely, I'm not, I am not a structural, but I work very closely with structurals and I tell them, um, you know, I used to, I'm, I'm, I'm in dreaded management now. I, I say that tongue in cheek. I, I love what I do, but 
I don't get to sit at the boards and design anymore. However, I work very, very closely with structurals and um, a lot of structurals are very dear friends because we, I, my area of expertise was um, geotechnical foundation um, recommendations for bridges and, and I was on several major river things. So um, I do know a lot of structurals and it's fun and I, I love bridges. My kids get, you know, roll their eyes when we'll be driving over. Oh, I was, I worked on this bridge. Of course you did. <laughs> you but how many people can see that, you know, in their job? It's like, I was part of this bridge. Yes. And you know, it's funny. My kids roll their eyes and they tease me about it. But when one of the bridges that, that I worked on, it was the last major bridge, they were, the old trust bridge was being uh, demoed. They were going to blow it up. And so I pulled the kids out of school and we went and we watched and my son thought that was the best thing in the whole wide world to see this, you know, explosion, this demo of this truss and watch it fall into the river. It's pretty That's cool. That's so cool. That is so cool. So my stock rose a little bit on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Non-traditional, right? Exactly. Non-traditional school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you learn a lot from seeing things like that. Yeah. Uh, so when did you, so when did you like get passionate about business or when did you um, uh -huh. kind of, because they're, they're different, right? Engineering and then uh, the Absolutely. business side of the things, like they have to tie together when you own an engineering business. But um, yeah. when did your passion for kind of the business side of things uh, present itself? Well, that is sort of homegrown. So my grandmother had a, a secondhand store, a consignment store. And so when I was in school, um, specifically high school, I would go there after school and I would work in her store. And um, for a while, my grandpa, so we were in Rapid City, South Dakota. My grandpa got very ill, had to have heart surgery. So grandma and grandpa went to Denver and I was, I was 14 years old, 15 years old, and I actually ran the shop. So I ran the shop while grandma and grandpa were down in Denver, you know, which sounds insane right now, but it was Rapid City, right. South Dakota. It wasn't a big deal, but I had to take the deposits. I had to go and take them to the bank. I had to, you know, run the business, take the, take the credit cards and the old machine, which nobody <laughs> will know what the, that means, but um, I had to take care of all of that. And so I knew about running a business and I knew about inventory and I knew about moving inventory and marketing. And, all that. and I was always, I was amazed at what my grandma could do with this little consignment shop in Rapid City, South Dakota. So when I got into engineering, I always would assess the business side of things. So I started out with the Illinois Department of Transportation and that's a totally different you know, environment when you're in a public agency. When I left and went to the private side, I immediately, which I'm sure, I, when I look back now, I'm sure they thought it was hilarious, but the president and CEO of the company, I would make suggestions, you know, here I am, you know, eight years out of school and I'm, well, have you thought about this? And I think you should set up market um, profit centers instead of service profit centers and, you know, da, 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 da. And I wrote a business plan okay. and I gave, it, I gave it to the president and he was floored and he said, how did you do this? I just taught myself. I just 
went online and learned how to do a business plan. And a lot of it I kind of knew about intuitively. Sure. And so they actually had me go through um, corporate coaching and asked me to become a partner. So I was the first female partner of that firm, which was exciting. So then I approached them about, hey, I'm thinking about, um, it, I was in charge of the geotechnical uh, discipline for that company. And I asked them about, hey, I'd like to start a drilling company. Um, how about if it's a subsidiary of this company, but I'll run it. And they were nervous about me still having my responsibilities for the mothership, but then starting this subsidiary. And I was like, oh gosh, I could just make the subsidiary go. I can't believe they're not, you know, on board with this. And so I jumped ship and started my own company with another woman. So um, okay. she and I were 50-50 owners and started a company called Kaskaski Insuring Group. And it was amazing. I love doing business plans. I, I know people are like, what? I don't know what it is. I love, because I love the looking forward. I love, okay, where are we going to be five years now from now? Where are we going to be 10 years from now? And I'll be honest with you, Carrie, I always think about, this is probably a lot of my grandparents training and my parents and me too, but who's going to be the next generation? Who's going to, what's the succession plan for this? So it was never all about me. It was about, yeah, I definitely want to be involved and I want to create and build this entity, but I want, I want it to provide, you know, sustenance for the next generation, so to speak. So I guess, um, I'm, I guess I can say I'm really good about starting things and then I'm also good about passing it along. And so yeah. that's the entrepreneurial side of me. And so I've done that. I started two companies from scratch, um, which is really, really challenging, but it was absolutely the most educational process I've ever been through. I don't have an MBA. My master's is in civil, but I feel like I have an MBA. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I talked to a lot of MBAs from very prestigious schools and I feel I can hold my own with them just based on my on-the-job training. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and that's so smart of you to be able to hand it off because a lot of times, um, maybe speaking from a little bit of personal experience here, um, the, a business is like a baby and it's hard sometimes to like to think about it logically when you're supposed to let go of it and sell it instead of um, think about it from the heart of like, no, I can't let this go, so. <laughs> Absolutely, and I see that so many times when um, people who are just amazing engineers who have had wonderful companies, but have never thought about, gee, I wonder what's, you know, what am I gonna do when I'm ready to retire? And you've really gotta have that plan in place 20 years before you plan to retire. You know, you, you've got, to, and it doesn't mean that it's going to work out exactly like you originally planned it, but you've got to be mindful of it. But, but getting back to the fun side of things is that um, what I loved about having my own firm is that I had this vision of this culture. You know, you spend more time at work than you do at home, except for now during COVID. We, we spend a lot more time at home, but we're still working at home. So the people that you work with, you spend more time with them than you do with your immediate family, typically. 
And so it's really important to have a culture where you have teamwork. And my favorite uh, quote is from John F. Kennedy, that all boats rise in a high tide. And I, I truly, truly believe that, that if the water lifts for us all, then we're all gonna lift in the high tide. You know, it's not just about me getting myself up, you know, ahead of you. If we truly work together, and so that's a, that culture is so important to me. It's so important that I, I, I have, I have an aversion to hierarchical structures and I have to do org charts in our business. It's just the way it is. And it, and it even gives me creeps when I think about it because I don't like that these people are on top and these people are down here and these people down here are the ones who are doing everything. So they're really lifting up the people on top. Yeah. And it's the same in a business or a work environment or school or a project. If you, I always told all of my staff, look at it as a wheel, okay? So you have this wheel and we're all the spokes on the wheel, right? And the center of the wheel is, if it's a project, it's, it's the, the end product that you're creating together or the, the, um, the report or the experiment or whatever, the client, the customer, that's the circle of the wheel. And you all are the spokes. And every now and then as the wheel's turning, some are gonna feel more pressure than others, you know, because that's where you are in the stage, but you're all equally supporting the wheel. And yeah. that is the philosophy that I think works the most effective because you're all important. You can't, if you lose the spoke, the wheel doesn't work. It's not gonna roll. So we're all equally in it together on this project, on this, you know, on this, um, in this company or wherever project. So I think that's important. Yeah, I would guess that your employees feel that uh, culture and that um, that level of importance that you give to them too, like that, um, you know, the, and that's gonna pay dividends, right? If someone's um, vested into the company and they believe in the mission, if they believe in the wheel, like they're gonna work harder um, yeah. and be more efficient. So that's, <laughs> that is not always the case. So that that's awesome that you have that philosophy because I'm sure that creates a great culture that you're going for. Well, it's funny because um, five people who have worked with me in the past have all gone on to start their own companies. Okay, and all okay. Successful. And, but it's funny because you'll talk to some leaders, you know, I'm talking CEOs, presidents, things like that. They'll go, well, you know, we don't want them leaving and starting their own company. Oh my goodness. Let me tell you what, Carrie, those people who go on and start their own companies, who are they going to use and who are they going to work with and who are they going to team with? They're going to team with you all the time. So with everything in life, if you think in a silo, you will stay within that silo. If you think about the whole expanse that is out there and you want others to succeed, it expands your horizons. So when you hold other people back, you hold yourself back. Mm -hmm. And that's the way you've really got to think about it. You know, you can't begrudgingly hold somebody else down. I, I, I have had people come to me and say, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about leaving and, and it's devastating when you've got a really sharp, great person working for you and they're going to leave. It's horrible. I, you know, I always, a, a little part of me goes, Oh, but I would never, never, never hold anybody back. 
from yeah. maybe the job of their dreams or the location of their dreams, or maybe that's something that they've always wanted to do. And so, yes, absolutely, I support you. I support you to do what is best for you. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to miss them um, when they move on. But golly, all those people who have left over the years, I am still close to all of them. You know, yeah. I'm still connected to all of them. Well, and just what you said there about like when people stop by and, you know, talk to you and they're like, I'm thinking of leaving. Like most of the time <laughs> you hear it on the backside, I'm leaving, I'm going to be gone tomorrow or in two weeks or whatever. So the fact that they have that, that you have that trust and that culture set up enough where they, they trust you to say, Hey, here's what I got going on. And I want to be open and honest with you. Um, and the fact that you support them, that that's gonna, like you said, that's gonna keep that relationship moving forward too, even when you are at different entities. Right, so that's another important thing. I, I also mentor um, um, high school groups, you know, design groups and things like that. And, and I always want them to feel comfortable and safe to share their crazy ideas or if they're not really sure about something, so I will always be very open. Hey, help explain this to me. I don't really know what that is. And I think that's important for young people to understand. We don't, we don't know everything. I don't know everything. I don't. And so I, I learn as much from, from all of the young people that I've worked with over the years as I hope they've learned from me. But you always want to make sure that you've created a safe environment for people to be open and honest and share truthfully and authentically. And you know that I love when I'm on phone calls and someone will just, you know, reach out and say something, um, hey, you know, I don't really know what that term is that you just use. And when I know that we've created an environment where someone feels comfortable to say that, I, I'm like, okay, this is where we need to be. This is where we need to be. Right. So if you find yourself in an environment where you say, does anybody have any questions and nobody says anything, that's when you need to take a step back and go, why do people not feel safe enough to ask a question? Because they have them. You know they have them. Right, right. But they don't feel comfortable for some reason. So why is that? So I think it's important for us in, who are fortunate enough to have been um, placed in leadership, leadership roles to be aware of that and be mindful of that. So um, we create all this great potential for all these amazing minds that we're surrounded by, you know, makes us all better. Right. All boats rise in a high tide. <laughs> very true. Very true. And sometimes experience is like super helpful. Like most of the time it's, it's very important and helpful, but sometimes it's also a hindrance because you're used to doing it a certain way. So oh, absolutely. how good to see it as um, new ideas, fresh ideas, even if yeah. they are out there, like they're necessary and important. That's what I get, that goes back to what I talked about, about the silo is if someone has always done something a certain way and then they teach you and they've mentored you. And so you're only going to do it this way because that's what you're comfortable, you know, by learning from them. So that's why I always tell people to um, get a mentor and get a mentor. If you're, if you're already working, get a mentor where you work, because it's always important to understand the whole process there, but get a mentor outside of where you work. And it can be in your discipline, it can be in your geographic area. Um, the, young, uh, the young group of design um, team that I worked with at the high school, I'm still connected to all of them. Only one's going into civil engineering. 
Um, one's going into nursing, uh, one's going into mechanical engineering, but I've stayed connected to them because it's, it's reciprocal. I want to know what they're learning and that's going to broaden my horizons. And sure. it's going to help them to understand some of the experience that I've had. Some of it will still be applicable, even though it was a long time ago. You know? No. <laughs> no, I don't think it's a long time ago, but <laughs> it scares me sometimes how long it's been. It's like, oh my gosh. No. <laughs> um, okay. So when you were talking a little bit about um, starting your businesses and stuff, you talked a lot about like a lot of the things that you brought up were risks that you had to take. Is there one risk that stands out as like a major risk that you had to take to get to where you're at now? Yes. So it's always fascinating when I talk to people who are at these very large established firms, you know, and they've got very responsible roles and I, I take nothing from them. But I did ask one gentleman because he was telling me how high he was in one of the, I call them the alphabet firms, you know, the ones with the letters. And um, I said, have you ever had to put your house on the line to make your payroll? And he kind of gave me a weird look like, of course not. And I said, well, I did. I did. I put my house on the line and I have, I had little kids and, um, and my husband was very nervous. He's not, he's risk adverse. Um, but he's been a huge support for me and I am so grateful that he allowed me to get out on those skinny branches. Um, because we did, we, we pledged our house so that I could get the loan I needed to start the business. And so it's a little bit different when you are, not only trying to make your payroll, you have to get work, you have to do a really good job, so they want you to come back and do more work, and you have to make payroll to take care of your employees. And by the way, if you don't do all of that, they will potentially have your property, you know, because you that's your collateral for the loan. So I, um, I would say that that was when I really kind of put myself out there. Um, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't terrified about it. I was concerned and I knew the incredible responsibility I had to my family to make sure I succeeded. And I always, I always tell people um, back in the day, um, I, nobody will work harder than me. I will work however many hours. I will do whatever it takes. I will forego sleep if I have to. And I did many times. Fortunately, I do not have to do that anymore, but I was not going to fail, you know? Yeah. That doesn't mean that there were not mistakes along the way. There were many, many, many mistakes. And people have to give themselves permission to make mistakes because it's natural. But I didn't want to fail. You know, and I was fortunate that I, I didn't fail. Made a lot of mistakes, but didn't fail. Sometimes I think when you have that in the back of your mind too, of like, this has to work out, you're more driven to make it work out too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have that safety net. <laughs> get creative. Yes. So, um, and, and I, my, you know, I know part of it is the way that my mind works. It's not necessarily an engineering or a STEM mind, but it is somewhat. So I'll look at every scenario and I always tell people this, I, it's like I'm playing chess. And so I'm always trying to stay five moves ahead. Now I don't know what your move's going to be, but I think I know at least five options that you might move on the board. And so I, I'm five moves ahead of that in each scenario. And it can be exhausting, but it helps me to not be shocked or stunned or upset 
with whatever happens because I'm already five steps ahead. Oh, okay. I didn't want that to happen, but it did. Okay, so this is what we're gonna do. And so that's how I'm, I'm always thinking about that. Okay, I mean, I've had people many times call me a panic. Oh my gosh, can you believe this happened? Or, oh my gosh, or you know, the, um, the economic downturn in 08, we started our business in 06. Oh. And, and we couldn't get a loan. We couldn't get anybody to provide us a loan at the time. And so everybody was panicking and I was like, it's okay. I, I've got these ideas, you know, and I fortunately was able to get us through that. Um, that, that was, that was the scariest time in all my life, um, was during the downturn and trying to get somebody to provide me a line of credit. I had the work, but you don't get paid for that work you do until 90 to 120 days later. So what do you do in between? You use your line of credit. Mm -hmm. And so that was scary. That was yeah. a scary time. But well, and that's a big, like uh, when you're talking a business and multiple employees, it's so it's on such a grander scale than just your personal finances. I mean, collateral right. in a house can get used up like that. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. So switching gears a little bit, um, what, what would be something that is maybe unexpected? So like a hobby or something that you like, um, yeah, I guess like a hobby or something that you're passionate about that maybe people wouldn't expect. Oh, well, I'm not sure if people wouldn't expect this or not, but I, I am kind of a, a, a strange gardener. So I love all these, um, I love doing kind of exotic herbs and I have a mushroom garden for shiitakes and morels. Okay. <laughs> that has to be pretty shaded, I'm guessing, right? It is, it is. And you have to have hardwood logs and you drill them in, you get your, you know, you get your plugs to start them with. And it's, it's, this is another thing I think that, that goes back to what has helped me be as successful as I am is I have a lot of patience. So okay. I understand what it is. I start my, I start my plants from seed. And so it takes a while to get the plant and sometimes they don't survive, you know, and it's frustrating. It's like, well, what happened? Same with the mushrooms. They take six to nine months to grow. Really? And so, yeah. And so, and, and you get better, you know, you get better with it as you do it. You learn new tricks and, oh, gee, this works and this doesn't. But I think with anything that we do, um, it really takes patience. I used to be a marathon runner. And um, I had an injury and so I can't marathon run anymore. And people would always say, I didn't care about getting a fast time or improving the time I had before. I wanted to finish, you mm -hmm. know, that was important to me. And um, I remember one of my uh, buddies, my running buddy, she said, you could just run forever. I feel like you could run a 50 mile marathon. And I thought, yeah, I probably could. I just settle in and I just, you know, kind of get to a comfortable pace. I'm not in competition with myself or anyone else. It's all about the process of being there and I take it all in and I love that. So, and you already talked about that I'm a voracious reader. I, I read constantly. I love to read and I love all different. I, I'm fiction and nonfiction. Okay. That's what I was and I've actually, I've written a book too. It's not Have been published yet. Yeah. I, it's not been published yet. I'm in the process of taking care of that. So what's it about? Can you tell us what it's about? It's, it's a memoir 
And so um, it's basically a story of going through my parents' um, illness. Both of my parents were um, had cancer, and um, and actually, my my mom died very young from breast cancer, and then my dad remarried, and my dad and my stepmom both got cancer. And so I was going back and forth, taking care of them in South Dakota, and I was here and had the business. And um, it was just really a tough time. And they ended up passing away three months apart. And so it was a really, really tough time. And so I was getting a lot of people calling me and saying, how did you, um, how did you survive that? What did you do? And, and so a lot of people were calling me that were kind of, you know, the sandwich generation. You've got little kids and then you're also taking care of your parents. And I just thought, you know, number one, I want my kids to know about my parents. And so I wanted them to hear the story, but I also wanted everyone else to see how we got through this, you know, um, this time of taking care of kids, taking care of parents and also having a business. And so it, it incorporates all those stories uh, together. And each chapter starts with either a text or an email from my uncle or my brother um, that were, um, you know, that were helping with taking care of my dad, my stepmom. So I love that age for each chapter. That I love that, and what a great tribute to your dad and to your stepmom too, and yeah. to your mom too. So yeah, absolutely. Oh. I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I love that. I can't wait to read it, and I can't wait to. To, I'm sure, you know, like the, our, I feel like our relatives and especially our parents, so much of them are in us. Um, so I can't wait to read it and see, see those attributes that uh, come through to you too. So. Oh, that, you know, that would be interesting too, to see somebody else's perspective, you know, reading it from the outside. That would be right. great. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. So thank you uh, for joining today. I really appreciated this. So thank, thank you. you. This has been wonderful.